Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. And back with us in studio today is The Daily Signal's senior reporter, Mary Margaret Olahan. Mary Margaret, thanks for being back. Hello, thanks for having me back. Well, Mary Margaret, like me, you are a Tom Brady fan. Yes, we stand. Yes. So (laughs) uh, you were probably just as broken up as I was when you heard the reports that Tom Brady might be getting a divorce, at least that's what it looks like. He and Giselle have apparently hired divorce attorneys. Uh, and this is... <laughs> Lauren, stop laughing. This is sad news. <laughs> There's but, like two. You can't even see it. There's like dramatic lighting in the podcast studio right now. Virginia's all it's sad. It's like a, a funeral. <laughs> okay, hot take. I'm not too torn up about this. <laughs> Mostly because Tom's been married a lot, well, and so only twice, right? Wait, has was he ever married to that to the woman who he had his first child with, or were they just yeah in the girl a that was on Blue Bloods, right? The um, were they actually married though? I thought they were. I'm going on Wikipedia right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see what the very reliable source of Wikipedia has. He has to say. too many awards, and like I can't even find it. It's not. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's only been married to Giselle. Oh, wow. Okay. Married well, in 2009. Uh, I feel very mean this now. This is heartbreaking. <laughs> this is true. Okay, you know what? The he thing also is, played baseball. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I forgot that. I the think, thing yeah. about Tom Brady is we will always love him no matter what he does. He can model Uggs. He can leave the Patriots. He can leave his family. And we will still love him. Wow. <laughs> that, that is a hot take. <laughs> but Mary Margaret, knowing having been raised in New England, that is an accurate statement. Like Tom Tom Brady could murder someone and New Englanders would be like, But he's such a nice guy. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you know? I wouldn't say that about Pat's players. It's still a little soon. <laughs> uh, but I, I think my big takeaway from this Tom Brady has honestly been very open about the fact that he has put football in front of everything, including right. his family. And it's like, yeah, he kind of made this choice. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure he doesn't want to get divorced at the same time. It's like, you kind of should have seen the signs coming when you literally for years and years and years prioritize football over your family. Right. This is the sad result. And I mean, I hope these reports, I mean, I don't hope they're true, but if you know, it would be sad if they were salacious reports, too, yeah. about their family when... True. You know. That's so damaging for kids. Yeah. Now, Lauren, you have some other sad football news. Probably way more sad than well, this. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Tom Brady might be the goat, but the boat, the best of all time, oh Blake Bortles. Oh, gosh. That is not a thing, and you can't make it happen. Oh, 100% that's the thing. <laughs> Do you see fans of you put just like the boat on Twitter? Like everybody knows what you're talking about. What? Um, Blake Bortles is I've retiring from this. football. He is just. I've never such... heard his name in my life. You've never heard of Blake Bortles? No. Um, I not... love this interaction so much. Not it's only is it right a, a hilarious name, B, he won UCF their first ever BCS Bowl. He almost took the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Super Bowl, and Miles Garrett wasn't down. We can go on about that. <laughs> And he has one of the best NFL interviews of all times where the reporter goes, um, Blake, if you weren't an NFL player, what, what else would you be doing? And, you know, actor, musician. He goes, I don't know, probably doing construction. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's honest. Yeah. It's, it's the best. It's well, honestly the best. That's I like this um, honest, nobody knows football player. 
Everybody knows. Nice. Blake Bortles. <laughs> I mean, the only the reason why I know Blake Bortles is because of The Good Place. Yeah. And they, they make lots of jokes about Blake Bortles <laughs> on that show. Um, but so anyway. if you heard it first here on Problematic Woman, Blake Bortles. He's is, a he's a is, football player. He's officially retiring. Yes, we, retiring. We, we learned his identity today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lauren, go ahead and let us know what we have queued up on the show today. Up on today's problematic woman, Virginia shares what she saw at our southern border and how the illegal immigration process works. And Mary Margaret explains, man, you guys are doing all the work. This is going to be awesome. (laughs) And Mary Margaret explains why two girls are part of an investigation at a Vermont high school after they told a biological male to leave the women's locker room. Plus, the Women's March made a telling statement on their view of abortion. We'll break it down. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Customs and Border Patrol have encountered more than 2 million illegal aliens at the border this year. We discussed on the show two weeks ago that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sent 50 illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard. He did this presumably to send a political message and for practical reasons. The sheer number of aliens coming across the border is way too much for a handful of communities to handle. And in light of everything that is happening at the border, I went down last week to check it out. I visited San Antonio and the border towns of Del Rio, Eagle Pass, and Brackettville. So, Virginia, you were down there. What what did you see? So I think my two biggest takeaways was, one, we don't have a border anymore for all intensive purposes. And two, it was really fascinating to see how well of a well-oiled machine illegal immigration has become. And so what I mean by that, I'll, I'll talk you through kind of a scenario that I saw happen a couple different times. You see illegal migrants, illegal aliens come across the border. Uh, they cross the Rio Grande. And then they just sort of wait. For border patrol to come and pick them up. Often they're actually searching for border patrol. These are individuals that want to claim asylum. They want to be found by border patrol. Border patrol comes, picks them up, and it's all a little bit ho-hum. It's like, oh yeah, it's like, you know, it's Tuesday morning. It's just another day. Border patrol puts them in the van um, and then they drive to a processing center where some basic information is taken down. And of course, our hope is that uh, these migrants are giving honest information, that they're giving their real name, that they're giving their real country of origin. But we know that that's not always the case, that, um, you know, those that maybe have a criminal history, they're obviously not going to use their real name. Uh, But after they go through that kind of processing, that happens pretty quickly, then uh, often you have nonprofit organizations, non-governmental organizations, NGOs stepping in to give these individuals bus tickets, plane tickets. They're sent off into the interior of the U.S. They're given a phone number and said, hey, call this number to set up your asylum hearing. Or if they have a cell phone, then you know they are called. Um, but that's really trusting the fact that these individuals are going to show up for their asylum hearings. And we know uh, some estimate that it's about 80 percent of the time they don't show up uh, because they are worried that they'll be deported. So they're just released into America. And this this system happens literally every day with hundreds, if not thousands of individuals. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. 
So, Virginia, this is a big problem and one that the left just doesn't even want to look at or, or recognize as a problem. But since we do know that it's a problem, how are ways that we can go about fixing this? That is kind of the million-dollar question, and step one is to secure the border. I spoke with so many locals down in Texas who they said, you know, this isn't sustainable. First off, we just have to stop the sheer number that are coming over because what happens is that Border Patrol is being pulled off of their posts of actually guarding and protecting the border in order to process all of the paperwork and the asylum claims that are being made. So they're having to sit in an office when what they were hired to do is be out on their feet actually patrolling the border. And because they're not out there, that means that there's an increased number of uh, bad actors that have a chance to get into the U.S., whether that's people that are human smugglers, drug smugglers, those who have an illegal record. Uh, So that's step one is we have to secure the border. And then, you know, at the end of the day, there probably does need to be reforms made to, um, you know, the process of how individuals can legally migrate into the U.S. That is a much larger conversation and one that policy experts and lawmakers for years and years and years have been talking about and have failed to come to any sort of great consensus on. Um, But what's happening right now, it's not sustainable. And the people that are paying the price are people like a woman named Esther Teresa, who lives a mile from the border in Rio Grande. I stood in her driveway for about 30 minutes and talked with her. And she described her house as looking like Fort Knox at night because she's had to install all of these lights, put up a fence in her backyard, get a guard dog, also that she can feel somewhat safe in her home at night, because it's not uncommon for, you know, three in the morning, an illegal migrant to be running across her property and Border Patrol chasing them. Uh, She told me that just the previous night before there had been a helicopter circling in their neighborhood, obviously looking for Mm. an illegal alien. So this is just the world and the the life that these people have to put up with. Uh, And when we say every community in America is becoming a border town, That is absolutely true. All of these migrants coming across, all of these illegal aliens, they are being transported into the interior of the U.S., and that is going to have lasting and long-term effects on our country. It's so scary. I'm just trying to imagine what that would be like, having to worry about whether your home's going to get broken into or having that kind of chase situation in the middle of the night, especially if you have kids. It's really scary. It is scary. I think it's something that, you know, you would think in America we just wouldn't have to worry about. Mm -hmm. If you live in a city, you kind of know what you're signing up for when you move into certain Mm -hmm. neighborhoods. But these are individuals in pretty rural parts of Texas. These are small little towns. And all of a sudden they've been thrust into really dangerous situations. Virginia, how would you say this has affected? So I've been to the border twice, uh, once in California, once in Arizona. Um, and to be there and to see the border wall and then to see the gaps and to meet the men and women of the Border Patrol, it really does have an effect on you. And um, we've done similar inter- interviews with people who have land that butts up to the border. And it's it's amazing. A story like that, as powerful as it is, is not unique um, mm-hmm. of people just finding dead bodies on their property and yeah. not being able to leave their home. How has your your view and your kind of your worldview changed after this trip? It is interesting when you see it for the first hand, even when you've been hearing about it for years, to actually witness how this is affecting Americans and to hear the stories that are so heartbreaking 
of the illegal aliens and what happens often to them in their journey. Uh, I was sitting with a sheriff, the sheriff of Valverde County, um, Sheriff Martinez, and he has a binder on his desk of just pictures of dead bodies that have been found in his county of illegal aliens who have you know, ground, drowned crossing the Rio Grande or died of heat exhaustion. Um, he, you know, It was hard to look at a photo, but he showed me a picture of a woman who was pregnant with twins who drowned crossing the Rio Grande. So I think you, you begin to realize when you're down there, when you see it firsthand, this is not helping anybody. This, if you want to call it a system, but essentially the system of, of illegal immigration that has been established under the Biden administration, it harms everyone. Mm. Well, Virginia, thank you so much for your reporting. I know that that won't be the last uh, on the border from the Daily Signal. Yeah. So uh, really recommend everybody. I'm sure we'll put some really great articles in the show notes. And thank you. For sure. Thanks, Lauren. And stay tuned because next, Mary Margaret does all the work. (laughs) And she's going to share the story of two high school girls who are standing up for the right to have female-only spaces at school. And if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum. And every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you facts on the issues that matter most from the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, she thinks has you covered. And if you cannot wait for that next episode to drop, then you can find all of the episodes at IWF.org, or you can just search for She Thinks Podcast in your favorite podcast app. Two high school girls in Vermont ask a biological male to leave their locker room. And now the girls are part of a harassment investigation. Mary Margaret has been reporting on this for The Daily Signal. Mary Margaret, can you explain the situation here? These two girls are on a sports team with this biological male, right? Mm -hmm. So these girls who we actually in our Daily Signal report, we don't say what their names are. and We don't say what the trans identifying student's name is either, just because all these kids are 14 years old. And that's really important to remember when we're talking about this, Mm -hmm. because these are really young kids at the end of the day. And so it's a very sad story. So these girls got banned from their locker room because two of the girls told the trans-identifying student that they weren't comfortable with this kid who's a biological male being in their bathroom. And I spoke with two of these girls. One of them told me, the first girl said that she was getting changed in the bathroom. She had her shirt off and she was just putting her shorts on. So she's in her underwear. And the trans-identifying student starts coming into the bathroom, and she says, please don't come in. I'm changing. And the student supposedly said, oh, it's fine, and came in anyways and stood in the corner and watched while these girls were changing. And, you know, it's not really clear whether the student was watching, watching, or just standing there. But either way, the girls were upset. The parents were upset. Everybody was saying, why is this biologically male student in the girls' bathroom? And the girls that I talked to said, they both of them told me he has male parts and they were really bothered and they said why is someone with male parts in our bathroom and so the school responded you know first they were very delicate and they said we are launching an investigation into this we're going to find out whether any harassment took place and the parents quickly told me this isn't about whether our daughters were harassed this is about whether they harassed the student 
And sure enough, since then, the superintendent of the district has come out and talked about hatred and bigotry and how he can't believe that that's in the community and how all these parents who are talking to news outlets like us are furthering this hatred and bigotry. And he literally asked the parents to speak up and post stuff on social media to kind of drown out the noise of the critics of the school policies, which allow kids to use the bathroom that correlates with their gender identity. And so more and more parents are reaching out to me. They're furious. One dad said to me yesterday, the anger is growing. So Mary Margaret, as part of my job here at the Heritage Foundation, I spend all day at on Twitter, which is kind of an <laughs> awesome thing, but also kind of a very sad thing. And I do think a lot of the pushback on Twitter against this story has been the report was by the Heritage Foundation and now all the local news is covering it and they're just responding like, I can't believe you trust the Heritage Foundation as your source. But I think that shows your impact in identifying the story and reporting on it, that the left is afraid of, of what you have to say. Yeah, that's a very common uh <laughs> a very common tactic to kind of just deflate a story where people say, oh, it's from the Heritage Foundation, it's activist, blah, blah, blah. But the the truth will set you free. The, the, what we're reporting here is the truth and the facts, and this is what the parents are telling us. I also, you know, for all the haters, I also interviewed the mom, or the guardian of the trans student. Mm. And I did a whole story on all of her thoughts on this. And, uh, you know, she called these girls that are criticizing her biologically male son, child, um, she called these girls privileged. And I said, um, what would you say to them when they're saying that they're incredibly uncomfortable by having someone with male parts in their bathroom? And she kind of paused and thought about it. And she was like, well, I would tell them, ask them to imagine what it would be like to wake up and not have their brain match their body. And she said, you know, to have male genitalia when you think you're a girl. She was, you know, it, it is a fundamentally uh, different mindset that mm. she is coming from. She, in, like, over and over and over said, my child is a girl. I have a daughter. Over and over. And, you know, for those of us who know that a biological male, someone born as a biological male will die as a biological male, that can't be changed. It's not sub. It's not something that can be changed. You know that th- those kinds of words speak for themselves. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Mary Margaret. I think this story really rings true the fact that at the end of the day, what this whole argument comes down to when we talk about transgenderism is a belief: can you either can or cannot be born in the wrong body, and the whole argument hinges on that and answering that question. And for those who genuinely believe that an individual can be born in the wrong body from day one, um, it's like, okay, then everything else tracks. But you have to get to that point where you can accept that in order to say, you know, this man is actually a woman. And I think as believers, I feel like we have such a, a strong you know, foundation of God doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, he created male and female. And then I think from a scientific perspective, we also have a very strong foundation to say, no, 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 man, woman, there's obvious clear differences, mm-hmm. not just in you know parts, but you know, really down to the nitty gritty of who someone is at right. such a, a foundational biological level. Um, and it's kind of mystifying to me how this lie 
got so uh, so spread and so quickly embraced by the mainstream to believe that the individuals from the get-go can essentially be wrong, that they can have this um, innate air of being in the wrong body. And to say that uh, to say that accepting that lie is loving feels so counterintuitive. Yeah, you're right. I think a lot of the conversations around this topic revolve around empathy. And so we're told that if you are a loving person, um, you will empathize with this person's pain and affirm what they are saying. But we know from so many detransitioners that this is not, this is a, a cultural phenomenon where many, many people who are taking irreversible steps are completely scared and terrified at what they have done and they wish that they could undo it and they can't. And I'm talking about whether it's um, hormones or puberty blockers or or transgender surgeries on your genitalia or even things like face-altering surgeries to make yourself look more masculine and more feminine or removing fat from your arms or weird, all these things that people do to try and fit into another sex. And so even just on this level, like if you look at all the people who are coming forward and saying, I tried to permanently alter my biology and I couldn't do it in the end and now I'm suffering for it. That is really disturbing and it's really sad. And um, and so, you know, I would argue that we shouldn't be focusing on empathy. We should be focusing on the truth. And, and mm-hmm. that means factually and kindly and lovingly focusing on the truth rather than how something makes someone feel. Yeah. As it relates to this investigation in in Vermont, do we know kind of the status of that? Like what what's going to happen to these two girls who spoke out and said we're not comfortable having a biological man in our bathroom or our locker room? Well, the parents are conferring a lot. There's there's a lot of discussions. Um, I think that they're hoping to make some moves. I know the school has been talking about this investigation, which isn't closed yet. Um, potentially these girls will be punished for asking a biological male to not use their bathroom. And if that is the case, I mean, this story is already on a national level. And I think we'll see even more national attention on it if that does happen. And the girls have been told not to use the locker room right now. Is that right? Yeah, the volleyball team can't use their locker room. So they have to get changed in small you know, private dressing rooms or things like that, which is, you know, it's not a huge deal. But um, I think the parents are, are really upset saying, why not just ask the trans student to use a different bathroom while we've resolved this issue? Mm-hmm. So it's just craziness. I mean, it, it's why you have to watch your kids' schools and you have to, we have to be talking about this. This is, I know the left kind of threatens Virginia, like you've been mentioning, that you, if you're, you don't believe in this, you're transphobic, you hate everybody. But no, like this is a winning issue for conservatives. It's a winning issue for the truth. And so when you hear stories like that, make sure you're talking to your girlfriends like, hey, like this is crazy what's happening. Can you imagine if you're a student there? Because that's the only way we're going to stop this. Yeah, that's a great point, Lauren, because we actually don't hear about this happening very much because girls like these two I talked to, most Kids, I think, are a little worried about standing out like that. And these two girls had the guts to say, don't come in my locker room. I'm changing. And and then when the trans student did anyways, they still had the guts to talk to media. And that is, in this day and age, a very, very brave thing to do. 
Mary Margaret, thank you so much for your reporting on this story. It's really, really critical. And you are are not slowing down. You are going to the Women's March this weekend to cover the craziness there. And interestingly enough, um, the Women's March recently came out with a pretty interesting statement on Twitter. Last Thursday, they tweeted, we're not just pro-choice. We are proudly, unapologetically pro-abortion. My first thought when I saw this was, man, finally, they are saying what they have always believed, honestly, um, and what their message has always been, that they are indeed pro-abortion. So I'm, in a way, kind of happy to see that they're just saying it like it is. They're not just pro-choice, they're pro-abortion. But when we hear that statement, do you all think that there is actually like a difference between being pro-choice versus pro-abortion? No. (laughs) Well, I don't think there's a a difference, but I do think it's the confidence that the left has of before it was like safe, legal and rare and that we don't really want people to have abortions, but we think that like women should have the choice. And now the Women's March is actually just saying what they've always believed. We want women to have abortions. We think abortions are good and that they are a positive in society. And basically they're coming out and saying we don't value human life. Yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, like Lauren was saying, the conversation on abortion has dramatically moved. But I think a pivotal moment was when uh, President Joe Biden, when he was running and Kamala Harris was still one of his opponents, he had to address whether he still supported the Hyde Amendment, which bans federal funding for abortions. And Biden said that he he still supported it. And this was You know, at the time, he had supported it for a while, but I think Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, a bunch of people came forward and condemned him for still supporting the Hyde Amendment. And then he flip-flopped and said he would never be able to support the Hyde Amendment. And at that point, I thought it was a really really pivotal point for the Democratic Party. And Bernie Sanders said this shortly afterwards, that you couldn't be in the Democratic Party if you weren't pro-abortion. And ever since then, it's really just escalated by leaps and bounds. It's not just um, that Democrats support abortion in most circumstances. It's a woman has a right to abortion whenever she wants, however far along her pregnancy is, no matter the reason. And that is pretty freaking extreme. It is extreme. It's absolutely incredibly extreme. But I I am glad that they're feeling this a little bit of... I guess, freedom, I don't know what it is to finally kind of show their true colors, to put it out there and to show the world how extreme they are. Because as you know, as I covered over the summer, various protests around Roe v. Wade, you know, I would have some people say to me, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not pro-abortion. No one's pro-abortion. I'm pro-choice. You know, I just think women should have the choice. No one's actually for abortion. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so I, I'm really glad that those that you know, are say, you know, I'm pro-choice are finally kind of getting to see, no, 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 the organizations that you back, they are openly pro-abortion. The lawmakers that say they're pro-choice, really they're saying they are pro-abortion. And Virginia, I think to Mary Margaret's point, I don't think those people actually believe that. I think they just haven't received the updated messaging document. <laughs> yeah, they, you they know. need the new talking points. Yeah. Parenthood needs to send out the bold points on this. <laughs> which, really which no. I think leads us into our, our next question is, the, Mary Margaret, you're going to go out there, and I hope this is a question that you're going to pose to these people of, like, the Women's March said they're pro-abortion. Are you pro-abortion? And get these people on the spot. Is it like Virginia said, or do they feel differently, or are they now just finally free to come out and actually say it? 
Yeah, I mean, we cannot disclose our spicy questions for the women's market. Wow. But, um, Top secret information. <laughs> wow. Not even to our PW listeners? Not even. But, oh, wow. But wow. Maybe, some, maybe, maybe next can, week yeah. we can uh, share some of the hot takes from the event. Yeah, there, it's a usually a very interesting event. Um, they don't really like us. <laughs> I but I thought, I thought it was a, a women's market. Aren't you a woman? Uh, I mean, I am a... Uh, birthing person birth, birthing I human think. you identify as a woman. I identify as a birthing person I haven't birthed anyone yet but wow. <laughs> oh man I just wow. feel like we've been doing this for so long right five years of PW pretty much five years of women's marches and it's just like it's always the same but it's always more and more bizarre yeah, yeah. it goes more and more extreme with every year yeah there it's not just the women's march it's the climate change march and the voting march and yeah, the anti-donald the, trump march and the gun and, rights the march yeah, for our lives yeah. it's just it's it this, should just be like the most extreme woke march around yeah literally <laughs> literally our former colleague doug blair he would just go to all these protests and he would he said it's the same people all yeah. the time yeah. just different signs and um, I'm I'm glad you're going to go because I feel like America needs to see the march and see what they're talking about. But at the same time, I feel bad for you that you have to do that on a Saturday. So. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you for your service. Yeah. If it rains, my hair will be frizzy and it won't be a really beautiful product to watch. But that's okay. No, wow. no, no. You're gonna look well, great. We'll blur out your face just <laughs> for people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned because up next we crown our problematic woman of the week. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week. Time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Casey DeSantis. Ooh. After Hurricane Ian, Florida First Lady Casey DeSantis activated the Florida Disaster Fund to provide financial support to communities hit hardest by the storm. She's been helping distribute meals to first responders in Fort Myers. And this is uh, the first time that Casey DeSantis has really been put in the spotlight as the First Lady of Florida. She's spoken at press conferences in Florida and talked to first responders and really thanked them for their work. And you know, speaking in front of crowds is something that Casey DeSantis actually does have quite a bit of experience in. She used to be a television news reporter and commentator. In Jacksonville, Florida, home of Lauren Evans and Blake Bortles. And Blake Bortles. Actually, he's technically from Orlando, but he played for the Jaguars. So what okay. we're counting okay. Always bring it back to Blake Bortles. <laughs> Uh, she, yeah, she's she's beautiful. I loved a couple uh, weeks ago. They posted their wedding photo, and oh my gosh, oh, I saw that. Mm. It was like precious, it was so so cute. Yeah, and his uniform. Oh my gosh, great. he was very dreamy. <laughs> oh yeah, you would not think that if you saw him now, you'd be like, okay, he's not like an ugly guy, but he's not like super handsome. Lauren. But this- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, age has its effect on everyone. Yeah. yeah. Guy. That oh my goodness. Wow. I mean, Are we doing too good? much? Of, too much of, <laughs> of men on Prop Medic Women. 
<laughs> well, speaking in front of the cameras is not easy, as we've learned from none other than our own Vice President Kamala Harris. <laughs> Even the Liberal Daily Show is finding humor in some of her blunders. We got to take this stuff seriously, as seriously as you are, because you have been forced to have to take it seriously. Obesity is a serious disease, and it needs to be taken seriously. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. I hope that clarifies the issue, and this can be the last word on those words. Some of those clips are from Veep, hilarious show, and some are from Harris. And at times it's hard to know who is the sitcom actor and who is the vice president. But Casey DeSantis seems to have it down. Congratulations, Florida's first lady, on being problematic woman of the week. Yeah, we had to kind of just put that contrast in there. That um, that video compilation that The Daily Show did was just too good oh my gosh. not to share <laughs> well, a and, bit of it. Um, and, but I think it also does highlight like how... Um, how well-spoken than someone like Casey DeSantis is. Well, and don't leave out that Kamala Harris was also talking about equity when it comes to hurricane yes. relief, which is just, I mean, could have been a whole show on itself. Yeah. So uh, not only, I think, does Casey DeSantis speaking versus this clip really kind of juxtapose that, it also even gets worse when you think about the good that Casey DeSantis is doing and then kind of the division after such a terrible event mm-hmm. the vice president is doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mary Margaret, you actually got to interview Casey DeSantis somewhat recently, correct? Yeah, we did a really cool segment with her when I was at the Daily Wire where we sat down with her and talked about the mom vote and what a role moms and grandmas and nanas and abuelas will play in the midterm elections and in reelecting Governor DeSantis. And it was really interesting. We talked about the culture wars. We talked about how much moms care about crime, um, the border, safety for their children, education. Um, And we also went to a Mamas for DeSantis event where she talked about all of these things and then shared some cute anecdotes about her family and her kids. And I think she shared some funny story about her son kind of grumbling about Joe Biden ruining the country. (laughs) It was was cute. (laughs) Um, But she's very well-spoken. Uh, my friends and I have chatted about how she reminds us of Nancy Reagan a little bit. Hmm. And, you know, it was a great interview. You should check it out. Yeah. Thanks so much. We appreciate you doing that coverage. Well, that's going to be a great place to leave it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us on Tuesday morning for one of our interview editions. And, of course, next Thursday we will be right back here with you again. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great rest of your week, and if you have Monday off, enjoy your three-day weekend. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.